Hi, I'm Connie Wilkes. I'm Marlene Nelson. I'm Jerry Gropp. And I'm Sherry Spute. And our last names make up the acronym WINGS. We're just four ordinary moms with extraordinary bonds. The Lord gathers us all under His wings as a hen gathers her chicks, and we hope to offer a place to gather for our friends, family, and all who wish to join us. So welcome to our podcast conversation, Under His Wings. Welcome back, listeners. We're, we're grateful that you're here with us today. We live in a world full of addictions. We hear a lot of talk about addictive personalities. You know, I used to think of addiction as an alcoholic or a drug addict that we find on the streets or in someone's basement, just always tweaked out, right? You guys feel that same way? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Used to. Yeah. Used to, right? But in today's world, we got we to gotta think a little bit differently. And I think it's really important to understand addiction and that what looks like addiction may just be misuse. And does it really matter which it is? Well, these are some of the things that we're going to talk about today on this podcast. So Connie, will you tell us what the definition of addiction is? Sure. Um, The American Society of Addiction Medicine defines addiction as a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. So um, people with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. And then it goes on to say, addiction is an inability to stop using a substance or engaging in a behavior, even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. The term addiction does not only refer to dependence on substances such as heroin or cocaine. Some addictions also involve an inability to stop partaking in activities such as gambling, eating, excessive spending or shopping, mm-hmm. working. And I, I just think the list is growing. I mean, pornography isn't even on that list, but of course it, we know it's becoming one of the most prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I think that addiction is part of the plan of the adversary. Satan has wanted to take away our freedom from the very beginning, even before the world was. He would love to see us all bound in the chains of addiction so that he can take away our agency because he knows how powerful we are when we are free to choose. And so he is going to do all that he can to entice us to do things that and misuse our bodies. It makes me think of a quote I heard by a man named Charles Spurgeon what you just said, Sherry, he said, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. (laughs) Wow. I know. Isn't that beautiful? Every soul is very precious to our heavenly parents. And addiction, it's binding on our bodies and our minds. I I think even on our very soul. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing that we all need to remember is that if we find ourselves bound in the chains of addiction... We do not need to give up hope. We can break those chains and can find help and healing with the help of others who've walked that path before and with help from heaven. Right. Thank you, Sherry. That is so important for everybody to know. 
And let's talk a little bit about what kinds of addictions there are. We mentioned a little bit, but when I was looking at the dictionary definition, it said that addictions can be to a particular substance, thing, or activity. Okay, so substance, alcohol, narcotics, marijuana, we, we all get that. The thing, pornography, we get it. An activity, that's interesting, right? We, we now live in a world where people might be addicted to scrolling on social media. Um, taking selfies is an actual ad- addiction, <laughs> like reading about that. Hmm. Like, like people have harmed themselves wow. because of not being able to take a good selfie. Um, going to the gym can become an addiction for people. And there are probably hundreds of activities that someone could become addicted to. Mm-hmm. I know. And it is important also to point out that addiction causes long lasting changes to the brain. And it is an inability to stop an action without help. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think we probably need to add this caveat that someone who is truly addicted cannot stop their addiction long term or for good despite the negative consequences they may be dealing with. But I have seen many addicts stop their behavior for a time on their own. You know, as they call it white knuckling it. They, they try to use their own self-discipline and strength to overcome their addiction and it can work for a time. But generally, there is a relapse because they're just relying on their own willpower and we are all only human. And it does require help, help and strength beyond their own if they're going to be able to stop for good. That is a little daunting to me. I'm not going to lie. I just think about that. Mm-hmm. But knowing what we know, and as we keep going further, I know that it's going to be hopeful. So hang in there. Right. <laughs> hang in there, listeners. And that's, I think, why it's important to understand, like, there are a lot of us just misuse things. Yeah. We're not necessarily addicted. So look at your you know, we have to look inside and look at ourselves and say, do I have the ability to really, truly stop because I'm just misusing this? Right. I think I'm also thinking of other people and that the people I know who have had addictions or are still fighting them, I'm thinking. Right. Well, and so that's why it seemed daunting to me. Generally, one of the, the signs is denial. Oh. So even true addicts believe with all their heart that they can stop on their own. And they will often try for years Years and years and fail and relapse. And it isn't until years of difficult consequences or losing a lot, whether Mm -hmm. it's a spouse or a job or children or whatever it is, a marriage, that that then they finally realize, okay, I've tried. And I tried and I tried and I can't. I need help. Oh, mm-hmm. that's so wise, Sherry. I think as we talk about this topic, you know, we all come from so many different perspectives. I personally faced an addiction. Some of us live with addicts, and each of us here today understand the susceptibility towards addictions because there is also a lot of misuse that can be termed addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think we just need to clarify and be careful because sometimes the word or the term addiction can be a little overused, kind of like the term OCD. Right. What, just because somebody likes to be clean or organized, they'll say, oh yeah, I'm just a little OCD. Or I'm a little, yeah, I'm addicted to Netflix. Things that aren't truly an addiction, but just maybe a, 
a preference or right. a misuse. Maybe we binge watch a little too yeah, much. Doesn't yeah. mean right. we're addicted. Right. right. So right. I think it is. It's important to to recognize there is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember President Dallin H. Oaks talking about different levels of pornography abuse, for example, um, and how it is not all addiction. Right. And, and I think that he spoke about that for that very reason, because some, you know, were saying, thinking, every, everybody who misuses pornography thinks I'm addicted to pornography when he's letting them know, like, not always, not every person who looks at pornography means they're going to become addicted to pornography. So you can get out of that with help and, and you can stop and make those goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that he's, he was just trying to Distinguishing point out. Distinguishing there's a difference. Yeah, that there is a difference. Like yeah. true addiction, you've got to get help mm-hmm. to ever overcome it. Right. And not everybody is there. And I, I remember feeling a little bit relieved when I heard that, you know, because growing up with kids, I mean, having kids, being a mom, um, addiction feels really daunting and scary when you're trying to help a loved one and, and it can really make you feel out of your league. Yeah, that's for sure. And when you recognize that not all misuse is addiction, you can sometimes feel more empowered that, that you're able to help those children or whoever with the right tools. You know, oftentimes true addiction has a lot to do with genetics. You can have two friends using the same substances at the same frequency and one can truly become addicted and need help to quit. And the other is able to walk away when that desire and the motivation becomes strong enough. But the other cannot. Either way, you know, it's going to take work and self-control and in some cases getting help. But we can all feel comfort in the Savior's words that we find in the Book of Mormon in Ether 12.27. My grace is sufficient for all men, and we might add women and children, that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then I will make weak things become strong unto them. That is such a beautiful promise Mm -hmm. and strong. Did you feel that right when she said that? Mm -hmm. I did, and I actually know this is true. I know it. I've witnessed it in my own family, and it's a beautiful, beautiful promise. Um, At this last general conference, Elder Ranland said, when we yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and put off the selfish tendencies of the natural man or woman, we can receive the Savior's transforming power in our lives, the power to do difficult things. Addiction and misuse are caused by those selfish tendencies of the natural man, that wants what it wants and wants it right now. (laughs) That is so true. But but once again, I'm just going to add a little something here, that once someone is truly addicted and their brain and body chemistry has been changed, it really is no longer just a selfish tendency of the natural man. It may have started out that way, um, but eventually it becomes what feels like a very real need. Just like you guys need air to breathe uh, to keep living, right? For some, that drive or desire then, because of the change in the body, it becomes so strong, they can think of very little else. And at that point, um, they no longer feel like they're free to choose um, 
but they feel like they have to have it just to function or just to feel normal and okay. Which is such a good thing to understand as parents, as people, as maybe people who might have a tendency to misuse some things. Like, right. where are we? Have we, you know, where are we? Where are our kids? What what can we do? And so. and to, to recognize that that, that self-discipline and not giving in to those temptations from the beginning is important because yeah. we don't know. Are we going to be one of those that can walk away or are we not? Yeah. You know, Sherry, I remember when you were telling me about Chris and his background I don't mm-hmm. know if, and how because of his genetics, mm-hmm. you knew he was susceptible. And I remember you telling him, you can't even try it once. Right. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, wow, wow. Yeah. So first of all, I really knew when it's that genetically ingrained and you've got that predisposition mm-hmm. through your genetics. Wow. Yeah, I remember sitting on the stairs and having that conversation with him, and it just came to me so powerfully to warn him of that. Yeah, because yeah. it does. Sometimes it just takes once, Yeah, and, and you're addicted. And, of course, it wasn't just once for him, and he had lots of friends, and they all used together. And it's interesting how... Many, most of those friends, once they got out of high school, they were able to quit, go on to college, get a degree, have a family. Mm -hmm. But because of his true addiction, it started to rule his life. He wasn't able to walk away like they were. I have talked to addicts who say, I can't figure out, I'm doing everything. I'm doing everything I can. But it just, it's like this click. I mean, it's just hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard. It is hard. And, you know, I, I, I recently heard someone say that addiction is just a faulty coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a way to run and hide from things that you don't want to face. Right. Or, or that you don't know how to face. Right. And these substances or activities, they can help distract us from our current difficult experiences Mm -hmm. or just numb the pain of past trauma. And this is prevalent. There's, there's just a lot of it. There's a lot of trauma in the world we live in right now. And there are all kinds of reasons that people turn to faulty coping mechanisms. And sometimes when we do, we, we beat ourselves up knowing that we should do better and be better. And we withdraw from others and from God thinking that we are unlovable or that if others really knew who we are and what we are doing, they would never forgive us. That's right. The adversary just wants us to, to withdraw and to hide in shame it's kind of like that same old tactic that he used in the Garden of Eden. And he tries to convince us that God could never love us the way we are. And so if you truly study everything you can, lay hold on about the character of God, you will see a forgiving, unconditional, loving, ever vigilant, selfless God that will give us chance after chance, you know, try after try, and forgive us over and over again, even more than 70 times 7. He just wants us to turn to him in our weaknesses and look to him for strength, not just to rely on our own. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me of an analogy that I think we all recently heard about how to get out of a pit. And I know I've heard addicts talk about this deep, dark hole or pit that they've fallen into and they feel like they just keep falling and falling further into their addiction and into this pit until they hit what they call rock bottom. And knowing that 
they got themselves into it, they also feel that they must get themselves out. <laughs> yeah, and I think that we've all fallen into a pit at one time or another in our life for various reasons. Yeah, that, that is true. That's right. So what do we do when we're in this pit? We, we feel like, okay, we better claw and climb our way out only to slip back down and fall again. And we find ourselves all bruised and broken, <laughs> but we got to keep trying. So we start clawing and clinging to anything we can. And sometimes we're lucky enough to find a clever way to get a few feet up, back up and off the ground while we white knuckle it. But eventually we fall back in even more discouraged than before. And finally, we're just so tired and discouraged and we've exhausted all of our own abilities, and we find ourselves laying flat on our backs, that's when we finally look up. And there the Savior stands with a smile on his face and love in his eyes. And he sends down his rope. He lets it down and tells us that all we have to do is tie it around ourselves and hold on tight. He's going to do the work, the heavy lifting. We just need to continue to hold on and stay balanced. And so we do. And he gently pulls us up with his strength, the strength of his hands. What we know is the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is the strength of our Redeemer. And so we rise. And we see the love in his eyes and his heart. And so we keep trying. And on the way up, we get to develop this beautiful relationship with him as we come to rely completely on his strength and power. And the gratitude and love that we feel for him just grows, and it's incredible, because he is doing something for us that we could never do on our own. And we know that because we have tried. And when we are finally out of that pit, he dusts us off, and he hugs us, and we are so grateful. And we tell him how we've wanted to be out so badly for so long so that we can start living our life the way we always wanted to. But he smiles at us and tells us, there's actually more to my plan for you. You were in that pit for a reason. I tossed these ropes so that you could form a relationship with me and understand what these ropes, which were constructed with the enabling power of my atonement, can really do for you. And so now, with that understanding, we are going to go mountain climbing. We are going to reach heights together you never thought possible. Yeah, it's like he's saying, you will see what these ropes can really do. Now, we are no longer fear-driven, you know, because that's justification. We've all been there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now we are love-driven. That is sanctification. Yes. We are ready to go on a journey with our Savior to see beautiful vistas. We are ready to trust his rope as we climb. Mm -hmm. And we're ready to bring others up with us on this journey, yep. you know? We're no longer held back by fear. We move forward with love for our Savior and his redeeming love. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful beautiful vision. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, when I heard this analogy, I could see myself as an 18-year-old. I was what some would call a troubled teen. You know, I had lots of destructive behaviors. I had left the things I was taught by my church and my parents, and 
I think it, I dealt more with misuse, really, than addiction. Um, but I participated a lot in misuse. <laughs> and I had broken the law of chastity. I had used all the addictive substances I could get my hands on. And I had been living a life of all about me. you know. And I remember sometimes feeling guilty, but doing my best to just swallow it down, shove it deep, and cover it up with lots of alcohol. And then my junior year in high school, I started dating a guy. And I remember the first time he hit me, we were in his truck and a car passed with someone I thought I knew. So I turned to look at him and well, it was another guy in the car. And this guy all of a sudden just reached out and punched me. And he couldn't believe I was staring at another guy, Mm. right? So all of a sudden, of course, I felt terrible and I felt horrible being the cause of his reaction, right? Because it wasn't his fault. It mm. was mine. And You thought. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right. That was what was in my brain. And I often felt, you know, that, and that went on for a long, long time and got lots and lots worse um, up until the time I was, I was 18. And I was in that pit. I often felt that there was no way out and that I would be in that pit forever. And I definitely couldn't pray. I couldn't ask God for help. You know, I was the one that got myself in there and I was going to have to either get out or perish. (laughs) And I know that is how so many people feel, but it's just absolutely wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is not one soul that has ever come to earth that hasn't sinned. It's part of the mortal experience. And most of us have committed at least a few doozies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we believe the lies we're told by Satan way too often. And then we repeat them to ourselves over and over. God couldn't love me. No one would love me if they knew the real me. Those are lies. I want you to know those are lies. They really are. And another saying that you hear people say, well, I I made my bed. I guess I need to lie in it. Mm, But it's not true. Uh -uh. You can remake your bed (laughs) a different way. You don't have to lie down in (laughs) that mess forever. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, these lies, we've all believed them at one time or another for different reasons. And When I hear others saying things like that, I often think of Elder Holland's words because I just have always found them so encouraging when he said, however late you think you are, however many chances you think you have missed, however many mistakes you feel you've made or talents you think you don't have, or however far from home and family and God you feel you've traveled, I testify that you have not traveled beyond the reach of divine love. It is not possible for you to sink lower than the infinite light of Christ's atonement shines. But I bear testimony that that is true. Mm -hmm. Because I was in that pit, and I could not see any light, and tried several times to get myself out, clawing my way up, but falling back down, bloody and beaten. And it came to a point where I knew the only way out was either to end it or to get out. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was going to have to claw my way out. But that 
was at a point in my life when I finally looked up. And I saw the Savior holding that rope. And over time, tug by tug and step by step, he pulled me out. He did it. I couldn't. And when I finally surrendered and went to my bishop, who was my clergyman, that he was there to counsel me how to find my Savior and how to grab hold of that rope that he was extending to me, I then developed a relationship with my Savior. I knew then, like I know now, that I could never have done it on my own. And I would often see this picture of the Savior in my head with his hands reaching down to me to pick me up. And I would share that with others because I wanted so badly for them to feel what I was feeling. And since then, I have been mountain climbing with the Savior. And I've made my share of mistakes over and over again, but I am always tethered to him. And we've been over some really rough terrain, (laughs) some steep climbs and scary cliffs, and yet I've seen beautiful vistas And I have learned to follow him because I love him, not because I fear him. And I have learned to let go of the fear that I am not enough. It was never intended that I would be enough on my own. I could never check enough boxes or climb enough rungs on a ladder to save myself. But with the Savior, I am whole. And because of him, I'm enough and I'm everything I need to be. And we all can be. You can be. You can know that with the Savior, you can be whole. Mm-hmm. Amen, Jerry. The Savior really is the only way to find complete healing and wholeness. You know, I've become familiar with the 12-step program as I've tried to help some of my loved ones fight addiction. And each one of those 12 steps is truly inspired And we'll make sure and add these 12 steps to our show notes for those who may not be familiar with them. But it is really such a beautiful thing to watch people rely on and develop a close relationship with their, what the big book calls, higher power, which we know is the Savior Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to watch how how people will uh, be put in others' lives sometimes, you know, in the form of sponsors mm. or doctors or counselors, priesthood leaders, who can teach them and help them hold on to that rope that's been extended to them by the Savior so that they too can climb out of the pit. I've seen some who come out of that pit with a deeper and stronger, more meaningful relationship with their Savior than I think they ever would have if they hadn't fallen in the pit to begin with. And I too testify, there are no limits to the Savior's healing power. Yeah, there aren't. And that reminds me of the thought that the Lord doesn't care so much about where we begin, Mm -hmm. but more importantly, it's the direction we're traveling and where we end that really matters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I totally believe that. All of these words of counsel and the testimony of the Savior are truths that will change lives. And as we end, I just want to share the testimony from an elders quorum president in my daughter's ward. He wrote an email to all the priesthood brethren in his ward, and it is the most amazing words. And he said this, 
He said, I was reflecting on a recent conversation that we'd had on being pioneers and what all that means for us individually and as members of the church. Each generation of the church had its pioneer opportunity that helped further the work of the Lord and set the example of sacrifice and faith for all future generations. I strongly believe that our generation gets the opportunity to be pioneers in how we further the work of addiction recovery and the culture around it. We don't have to push handcarts cross-country or wander in the wilderness waiting for a home, but our pioneering path is just as difficult and daunting at times. Because it is so prevalent in our world today in all of its forms, pornography, lust, substance abuse, laziness, apathy, video games, worldly pursuits, etc. He continues, I grew up in a culture at home and in the church that was super loving, but we didn't talk about struggles and addictions. It was too shameful and just had this negative stereotype that came with it. It was too scary to be vulnerable for fear of the repercussions or how you thought people would see you. But we now have the opportunity to trek into that unknown territory together and make a better way for our kids and our future generations to navigate through it in a higher and holier way. He said, I personally have had the chance to work with my bishop and move into recovery to overcome addiction and to develop the tools and the community around me to stay strong in the battle. And I know many brethren in this ward have done the same. Please reach out to us if you feel like you struggle alone and would like help from Corn members. We have been in the struggle or still may be there. There are so many resources available today that make repentance and recovery possible. And as we learn them and put them into practice, we are being pioneers in the sense that we get to make Corms and church a safe space for all who struggle. We can be instruments in the Lord's hands to help the future generations also battle with the armor of God and be protected. We only get through our trials and addictions through the power of Christ's atonement, but we also need community and connection as we battle together, and that is what I'm hoping to build as a quorum. Again, there is no shame in falling short and struggling. It is part of the plan. There just isn't a reason to be alone and discouraged in that battle when all those around you are fighting the same fight. Mm. Isn't Amen. that good? Yes. Absolutely. You know, Sherry, you just said the Lord will put others in our path to help us. And this elders quorum president said the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I just truly believe that is absolutely true. I testify to that. And I believe that when we come to understand more about what addiction is, how susceptible that we all can be, how to combat it, we will find that this battle can be fought together through education, love, and like we've said, with the help of the Lord. In our next podcast, we're going to be joined by some guests that will share their story and lead us through addiction recovery. You don't want to miss it. So until next time, we hope you'll stay safely under His wings.